0: All right, we continue the conversation on The Talking Point. Let me welcome into studio, dressed as a very patriotic South African, I must say, Dr. Stavros Nikolaou, you're donned in your Proteus gear and still hopeful that we stand a chance, I am assuming, of <laughs> getting to the other side in the World Cup.
1: Kathy, firstly, uh, it's a great privilege to be here again with you. Uh you. I think the protests have done exceptionally well. Um, It's just unfortunate that you've got, uh, or you had two World Cups running concurrently and uh, most of the world's eyes, or certainly from where South Africans sit, were were on the rugby. But I, I think our cricket team has done exceptionally well in India. It's not easy to go and play in India. Very often the conditions don't suit you. And we are already secure of a position in the semi-final. We play Australia next uh, Thursday. We beat Australia earlier in the tournament. So I think our prospects are looking good. And uh, if we were to go to the final and presumably play India in the final and beat them in their own backyard, that is right up there with one of South Africa's greatest sporting achievements. It's not easy to go to India, play under their conditions and do well. So we're keeping our fingers crossed, and I hope the whole nation rallies behind the Proteas. We are playing later today. We play our semi-final on Thursday, and God willing, we'll be in the final next Sunday.
0: If if we win the World Cup, Doctor uh, Nicola, I know that you sit on on various committees where sometimes you get to interact with the number one citizen. Will you be motivating for another public holiday?
1: Uh, you know, I, th- I think it's not, for me, it's not about public holidays. It's it's really about national pride here. And it's incredible the power that sport has around the world. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be in Paris for um, a number of games and got to interact with the French business community as well. They've got something called Business France. I met a number of French uh, ministers whilst I was there. And all of them spoke... In, in the best terms about the Springboks and it helps with your profiling of a country. So I think it's really good that we've got the Springboks and Proteus both performing so well because it does help with your overall country positioning. People uh, draw significant uh, credibility about, over how you manage your sporting countries. Mm. And I only had the best things to say about the Springboks including some of the ministers. And uh, I was in Greece uh, last week and and similarly, I didn't realize uh, the extent to which they were following the Springboks up well, Greece was a country only for football. I didn't think they even knew yeah. who the Springboks are. So it, it does really help if, when you do well with your overall country narrative and positioning as well.
0: Let's talk about the reason why you were in Greece, because you have been honored with this uh, prestigious, really, award. And it's around your contribution towards Humanitarian efforts, and among those is what is your global activism in the healthcare space, and, and your commitment to healthcare equality. And this is ironic to speak of because you're an an executive at what is really a multinational um, pharmaceutical institution. So when we talk about big pharma, we're very much including the lacks of you in that conversation. And, and yet you're also described as an activism in the space. How does that work? Tell me and, and tell our listeners more about the journey that you have traveled.
1: A good starting point, and I think this is a very much Aspen's philosophy, is that you, you only really exist in the healthcare business, whether it's healthcare or pharmaceuticals, I use it interchangeably for one reason and one reason alone and that is to improve the quality of life of patients and to save lives so every morning when i wake up uh, and i go to work i I don't need to re-motivate myself because i know i'm getting up for a particular purpose and that purpose is how do i improve quality of life how do i save lives on that day and then you can kind of reflect at the end of the day and the end of the week how you know how things have gone. And that is very much a fundamental policy at, at Aspen as well. So we, we're rather unique in that respect. We're only a 25-year-old company. But in that 25-year, short 25-year period, we've been front and center of three pandemics on the on the African continent. The first was HIV-AIDS. Where we, we pioneered generic antiretrovirals. We were able to bring the prices down from uh, around $10,000 per patient per year for first-line treatment down to $180 per patient per year. So that allowed us to significantly accelerate access to treatment for HIV patients. Hundreds of thousands of lives were saved. We did the same thing with multi-drug resistant TB. I won't go into the details. And then, of course, more recently, we were the first to produce the COVID-19 vaccine under contract from Johnson & Johnson. We were significant suppliers globally of general anesthetics which are required to ventilate patients. So I, th- I think that our positioning as, as an African company, and we've never forgotten our roots. Our roots are in Africa, as are my roots. So it's, it's great going and accepting an award in Greece from the Greek president, but in my acceptance speech, I was very clear to say I'm, I'm very proud of my, my Hellenic and Greek uh, origins and extraction, but I am an African deeply rooted here in Africa and now to sort of round off on your question, what I am particularly passionate about, and, uh, and I think Aspen has been particularly particularly passionate about, since our inception is the issue of health security and health equality in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's it's really sad, uh, sad. One of the saddest reflections in my life, if not the saddest, is to see how badly Africa was treated during the COVID pandemic. We, it's it's well-recorded, well-rehearsed. Most people know about it. Um, and, but it's, it's still painful. You know, it's, it's two, three years on, but it's still painful. And we were left at the back end of the queue for vaccines and even some of the basic medicines. So, I mean, India shut their borders on us. We were expecting vaccines from India. Parts of Europe did the same. And we learned a a very valuable and bitter lesson, I might add, because the lesson here is that unless you take control of your own situation, you set up your own capabilities and capacities, you will never, ever be in a position to provide your citizens health care. And that's the lesson. But the good thing, just to conclude, is that since then, the African continent, um, led by our own president here, President Ramaphosa, organizations like the African Union, Africa CDC, Dr. Jean Kaseya, and others on the continent, we meet regularly, have taken control of the situation, and we are starting to see the establishment of our own capacities and capabilities on the continent, so that Africa is never ever again left in the lurch And lives and livelihoods that could have been saved were we're not. We need to spare those lives and livelihoods in the event of the next pandemic.
0: What do you currently see as some of the biggest challenges to health care equality? And and I would really want you to speak from a South African perspective, because, of course, you would also have insights globally. But what is preventing us currently? from having that equity because the gap is is so big in this country
1: yeah so look i'm going to talk about south africa but i could equally speak about uh, about africa and i think sure. we've got to look at the two interchangeably because so south africa has taken the lead on the continent. you know healthcare wasn't um kathy something that was really spoken about it was kind of left in the corner there and not part of the mainstream economy and, and boy have we learned how important it is to to actually take all healthcare considerations into into full context. So healthcare is now spoken about in a very different breath to, to what it was four years ago. So what are some of the, if I can call it biggest disenablers to improved healthcare outcomes in our country? Firstly we have a private and a public sector. And we, we do acknowledge that there is an inequality gap there, therein. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to do to fix uh, the situation? First, so I'm going to give you four points. There are many, but I'm just going to focus on four points. Number one is we need a much closer collaboration between the private and the public sectors. Right now, the two sectors are largely segregated from each other. So you're not able to optimize your resources that you've got, your resources and capacity that you've got across the country. And that is what business has proposed in terms of what does NHR look like futuristically? Mm-hmm. We we believe that there's got NHR must be that bridge between the private and the public sector. So that's number one. Number two is that we don't, particularly in the public sector, don't have appropriate infrastructure. And part of this is because our facilities are overwhelmed by number of patients. So you're seeing an increasing demand in the system, a shrinking budget, and also infrastructure that is crumbling. How do you fix that? Uh, a very good suggestion again that um, came from the private sector and I, I just want to underscore here that there is excellence, In both the public sector and also the private sector, I was speaking to a group of doctors, the thrombosis specialists um, led by Professor Barry Jacobson on, on Saturday night. They asked me to do a keynote and I just looked at some of the public sector doctors in that room. They are excellent. So there's excellence in the private and in the public sector, but you cannot go on with shrinking budgets and a crumbling infrastructure. So suggestion number two is that the private sector through the schemes, the, the, the medical aids, as we call them, mm-hmm. take on what we call low-cost benefit options. So these are people that are not, uh, they don't have medical aid at the moment. Um, they work in not particularly well playing jobs, but can be bought into a low-cost scheme. We estimate between 6 to 10 million patients could be taken off the hands of the state and put into private facilities that will help immensely it will stretch the healthcare rand and it will place less burden on what are overwhelmed uh, facilities and infrastructure at the moment number 3 is no healthcare system is effective unless you've got an appropriate and suitable amount of doctors and healthcare workers and i'm afraid this is well known by everyone in the country there is a shortage of doctors, nurses, pharmacists, etc. in our country. Now, how do you fix that? Two ways. First of all, you've got to create more capacity to uh, to train and uh, and graduate doctors and pharmacists and others. Um, I happen to sit on the Wits University Board of Governors. And I think the statistics are that around 10,000 plus people apply to get into medicine at Wits. And only three hundred odd get taken in. Sure. Okay, so we've got to build more capacity. And again, the private sector is standing by to put up this capacity. And you know, we can double the training of doctors and uh, you know, the, the whole um, six year curriculum can be doubled because they're constraints at the moment. And for me that would change the world. The other thing we need to do is we have not properly embraced digitalization, digital solutions in healthcare in the country. So I have a daughter that's uh, studying medicine at the moment, and she said, Dad, you know, we're in the public facilities. You can spend the first 10 minutes trying to find the patient records. Mm. So now you've got a doctor running around, a nurse running around. Mm. Digitalize the system. And if you've got a consultation that lasts 10 or 15 minutes, all of a sudden, you've doubled the number of doctors you've got because they're not running around for 10 minutes trying to find the patient's records. What's even worse, if you don't find the patient's records and uh, something goes wrong because there's an allergy that wasn't picked up or whatever it might be, then that places an additional burden on the healthcare system. So that's number three. Now Number four is very much around prevention of disease. Okay, so we, we don't do well. Most cancers can be treated effectively if they are picked up early. And I'll tell you what is becoming uh, an increasing burden on the healthcare system and is actually more alarming than HIV and TB and the infectious diseases we used to in this country is diabetes and cancer. Yeah. So we shouldn't talk, Kathy, about when are we in the next pandemic? We're there already with cancer and diabetes. But are we picking up Cancer, okay, so are we picking up diabetes? Basic diabetic diagnostics, access to treatment. That's not happening. So, we need a concerted effort on what we call non communicable diseases in our country because if we don't nip this in the bud in the next three to five years, it's going to overwhelm us much more than HIV did. So, those are, if I were to put a four point plan forward, that would be my four point plan.
0: We're in conversation with Dr. Stavros Stavros Nikolaou. He's a group senior executive with Aspen PharmaCare, but also very active in the business community um, and and a big advocate for South Africa, not only investment. You would have seen him front and center of part of the BRICS Summit and uh, some of the work that is being done by business leaders in that space. So when we continue... We'll be talking about, more broadly, the state of our country. I know that there is so much to be depressed about. The morale is low. People are upset about the state of governance, upset about how things are faring in this country. What is the confidence that we can get from individuals like himself who have a voice in these important spaces about whether that future can change that things can get better from what they are right now. We'll continue that conversation. I also take some of your calls on two zero three two That's the number to dial. Zero eight six triple zero two zero three two on the WhatsApp voice note line zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. It's ten thirty. Time for the latest news headlines.
2: The talking point with Kathy Motsazana weekdays nine am till midday.
0: We continue the conversation on the talking point. Dr. Stavros Nikolaou is our guest for this morning. Recently, receiving the humanitarian award uh, from the Greek president, and it's an opportunity really to reflect on some of the contributions he's made as an activist within the global healthcare space, uh, but also, I think, more broadly um, as as a voice, a respected voice in different circles in this country. You know. When you, when we started off the conversation, speaking a bit about the Proteus and the Springboks and what they've done uh, for the country, you spoke about, you know, how it helps to position brand South Africa to to the rest of the world, and when we look at how South Africans celebrated that win, it it it. We, we were saying throughout the entire tournament, at least by the time we got to the semifinals, that we need this win because it's just going to give us something that we don't have right now, which is hope. And it represents different things for, for, for different people. But it's been a bad time for hope in South Africa because while some do enjoy the benefits and the dividends of this democracy, the majority of South Africans don't. How do you sell hope in those circumstances and to that majority that says our lives are not improving?
1: Kathy, I think, firstly, le- let me say that there is significant, uh, I suppose, dismay in the country at the moment for a whole host of reasons. Um partly because of some of the global economic headwinds we are currently experiencing. So when there's a conflict elsewhere, unfortunately, it reverberates into Africa and into South Africa, regrettably. So that's a part of it. Uh, The the second part of it is some of our own failings in our country. Now, we can adopt a view that... um, let's lose complete hope and throw our arms up in the air or we can try and see where are those areas that through a concerted collective effort in our country we can try and make a difference and uh, I'm not suggesting that there's a magic wand the magic wand doesn't exist and there are many many countries around the world that are experiencing similar situations to ourselves I've just come back from Egypt for example inflation is sitting at 42 percent in Egypt and their, their currencies devalued significantly so there's a there, there's a hardship that gets imposed on the average citizen as is the case in our country so what gives me hope for the future so let me talk firstly about the need to unify a nation firstly because no plan no matter how well set out it is can never be executed unless we have a socially cohesive society and a society that pulls in the same direction and that's why we saw the response we did and the reaction we did when the Springboks won and when they were even winning before they even won the world cup the whole nation was railing beca- behind sia and the team and i had i was fortunate enough to visit the team in paris before the french uh, quarterfinal. final and Those young men realized the responsibility that rested on their shoulders. So I think we should commend them for the way they conducted themselves, first and foremost as South Africans and human beings before rugby players. So what I'm saying is we need to find those touch points that are going to unite a nation. And very often it's found in sport. But it's short-lived. Okay, We need to have a sustainable plan around having this 12 months of the year, not for a month, and hopefully the protests will win and we'll get uh, a carryover effect. But it all centers around one thing, and that is fixing the economy. So you start fixing the economy, people start getting hope again. So what gives me hope in the country? What gives me hope is we're starting to see for the first time, I believe, a coordinated and cohesive effort partnership between business and government in the form of business for South Africa so we've looked and reflected very deeply as business organized business in South Africa and we have said do we sit back and watch an economy crash and be complicit in that or do we put shoulder to the wheel and get involved and see where we can try and make a difference we might not succeed But if you don't try, you will never know the answer. And obviously the latter is the way to go. One thing I must say is South Africa has a resilient and a very effective private sector. And we went to government and we spoke to them on many occasions and finally realized this partnership. Now, what is this partnership? The partnership is we said there are a number of disenablers to growing the economy. There are three in particular where we would like to assist with government. And we want to assist because unfortunately the capacity, expertise, and skills have been hollowed out from the public sector in this country, regrettably, over a period of time. But you've got that capacity, skills, and expertise in the private sector. So how do we best utilize that? Identify the three disenablers. What are the three disenablers? So first is energy security. Number two is infrastructure, supply chain, and logistics. We've seen uh, what's been happening with our logistics. We weren't able to capitalize on the commodity boom, which is really sad for our country because it, uh, it, it would have changed many people's lives. And then thirdly is crime and corruption. So we said those are for us, the three big disenablers. Dis- if we partly or fully fix those, mm-hmm. we can get onto a very different economic trajectory. So we have made, under the right governance structure, as private sector organized business under the Business for South Africa label, we have made available capacity on a pro bono basis to assist in fixing these three crisis areas in our country. Let me just add a final dimension. I'm fairly confident, and it's always uh, risky going out uh, publicly like this, but I am fairly confident that in the next 18 months, we would have resolved our energy crisis in the main. I'm not saying completely, but I think that one of the most significant developments, and that's why we need acceleration of the ERA, one of the most significant developments is the independent producers of energy in the country. So those independent producers have already produced 5,000 megawatts in a short space of time. So I'm confident between the steps that are being taken at Eskom, but more importantly, Mm. the independent energy producers, that our country will be on a very different energy trajectory. And the energy crisis has been incredibly demotivating for our country. And I think it will lift people. It will, excuse the pun, it will shine a bright light in every home um, if we're able to fix it, because that's been one of the single biggest demotivators. And this is my final point on energy, is that you can take a view in life on a crisis being turned into an opportunity, or you can say a crisis is going to sink us, and you sit back and, it, and you sink, right? So I think we've also got to look at things like the green energy, independent producers of energy, as a significant growth opportunity in our mm. country as well.
0: And, and and what about the fact that dr nicolaou you have differing opinions on this involvement of the private sector with government not everybody is comfortable with this relationship because there are concerns that all that is doing is that it's opening the public service up for corporate capture and that yes there are services that are being, delivered on a pro bono basis. But part of what that effectively also does is that it sets the private sector up to be the first beneficiaries in line where procurement from the state is involved. And so you have this allegiance, you know, of sort taking place between the two. Kathy, it's an
1: excellent question and I'm so pleased you asked it because I was gonna reference it later on. Mm. But let, let me just preface what I'm going to say by, by one obvious statement. I, I think in life you, you know, I've, I've never met a pessimist that's actually solved a problem or succeeded in a business. You have, you have to be optimistic and sometimes naively so. So with that prefacing, we've got to look at what our options are in the country. You know, so if the private sector doesn't get involved, how else do you fix the problem? And I haven't really heard anything plausible coming out. Some people have been critical of this, of course, and uh, justifiably so because of what's happened in the last 15 years in our country. So I understand fully why people would ask this question. But what are the other options? You know, you can keep trying to hold government to account. If you're in this type of a partnership, and earlier I stressed it's got to be done under the right governance structures. That's the key here, and that's the security we've got to give people out there and the assurance we give people is mm-hmm. you have to have it done under the right governance structures. So that means if you're a person that's in energy, okay, you can't go and become directly involved in the energy procurement, and neither will business become involved in any procurement process across those three areas or three disenablers that I mentioned. So we're very conscious that this has to be government-led. It's got to be at an arm's length. Mm -hmm. And we've spent extensive time setting out a governance structure as well at the same time. But my last point on this is that accountability is really best expressed through, through deeds. And, and, I, and I think we've got to watch this publicly so there's never any creep, as, we, as we'd call it. Um, and that is, I suppose, the best assurance you can give anyone. But um, if we had not tried this, I think we could have gone down, all of us, and said, well, should we have tried this three years ago and didn't? So in life, I think when things are looking perilous, I think you've got to try with the resources that you've got. And that's exactly what business is doing here.
0: Who then becomes in, in charge of the governance? And, and as you're saying, South Africans are incredibly sceptical right now. So, you know, in, in, in as much as the solutions or the ideas that businesses bring on board are ideas that are solutions to fill the gaps for really a state that is failing in, in those different aspects, who becomes the watch guard of those relationships because you have two very powerful entities of society that are interacting here. So it's good and well to say, well, you know, Kathy, you, you, you guys have just, we, we have your best interests at heart. You've got to trust us and, and really we mean well. Um, but after the lessons we have learned, it's, it's hard to trust anybody especially when every day we are reminded of, of those failures of governance. I mean, you watch the news, you read the newspapers, you see every day the scandals of billions and billions of rand. And we ask ourselves, how can this be happening? How is it even possible that these are the scandals that are being exposed?
1: So, Kathy, again, excellent question. So there are three responses here. The, the first is that the best way to maintain uh, credibility, transparency, and accountability is through the public. public. There's no better watchdog than the public. You can put up governance structures and all the rest of it and some of them have been discredited and others not, but the public is the best watchdog. Number two, and this is a really important point, we have made sure that that business, the business people and/or organisations that are involved, and in, and there's there's close on two hundred organisations, uh, mainly large listed corporates that are involved in this in this uh, in this venture. We've made sure that none of these individuals or companies will do any procurement because that's where the corruption happens. It happens when there's procurement, right? Mm-hmm. So the best safeguard here is to ensure that there's no procurement that happens. Number three um, is that you have to have the right uh, governance structure between the two entities, and there is a joint oversight committee that's been put up, particularly for that reason. But number two for me is the most important: ensure there's no procurement that happens from these companies, and then you find because then what you know what can you. What can you capture if there's no procurement? So I think that's really an important element is there'll be no procurement done here.
0: All right, we're in conversation with Dr. Stavros Nikolaou and we're reflecting I think on many things that affect the country and it's in the wake of uh, his recognition uh, by the Greek president who is bestowed upon him um the humanitarian award for his activism in the healthcare space but i think also just more broadly to south african society i want to go to Polokwane, and um <laughs> uh, it looks like you 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 might enjoy hearing from this next guest uh, dr nikelao dr mpolokeng good morning good morning yeah uh my
2: name is dr mpolokeng and I grew up in Kimberley, and when I was in primary school, I used to work with uh, the Staffros family, and uh, the the, uh, the Staffros, uh, the man was having a pharmaceutical business in Kimberley, uh, uh, on the second floor at uh, what uh, near the city on at better old bakery that uh, that. The property of his parents. So, uh, 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 Staffros had about at that time when I left, he had uh, four kids. The first one was uh, uh, Grigoris Stafros, and then Angela Staffros and Ellie Stafros, and uh, then they had the fourth boy, uh, who, who when I left was. Uh, uh, a little, a little, a little boy. So I I don't know whether uh, the doctor is the same person that I think uh,
0: uh, was the one. Oh, Dr. Mpulukeng, I'm sorry, but I think we're going to have to break your heart on this one. Okay.
1: Dr. Firstly, very nice to meet you. Um, Yes. Unfortunately, we're not talking about the same person. I, uh, you know, my uh, first name is Stavros, not, not my surname, Oh, and, oh, and, and oh, Stavros oh. is quite a common name, actually, I um, and I, I only have two kids, unfortunately, but uh, no, okay. nice to meet yeah. you anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I when they said Stavros, I oh. thought maybe you are one of the siblings of uh, the Stavros that I used to be with when I was, in
0: line school. Oh, all right. Sorry about that, Dr. Mpolokeng. Thanks for the call, though. <laughs> He's out in Bulokwani. We'll take a quick break. I'll continue with Dr. Stavros Nikolaou after this.
2: Hashtag SFM Talking
0: Point. We continue the conversation on the Talking Point with Dr. Stavros Nikolaou. Dr. Nikolaou, next year, this country will be marking. 30 years of its democracy, it's a significant moment because it, we also happen to have an election um, which is probably the most, every election is important, but the most contested election that we'll, we'll have, we've had in this country will be the 2024 elections. What is it that you would want South Africans to be reflecting on as we go into the new year? And I think more specifically about this country, not necessarily where we are, but where we would want to be.
1: Kathy, for me, a thirty-year reflection should involve the good and the bad that's been achieved in the, in the last thirty years. And I think it would be wrong to say there's been only bad things. There've been been many highlights, many milestones, many significant achievements, and. Um, ma- many things that I, I think have led to an improved uh, quality of life for some, as you said, not everyone, but but certainly there's been incremental progress in, in some areas, so we should never forget that either. Now, if we reflect on the things that haven't quite worked out, um, I referenced some of these earlier, and I, I think the biggest disappointment probably would be that We have not sustained economic growth like we did in the in the 2000s if you go through the 2000 period uh, there were times where our country from 2005 to 2007 we ran budget surpluses we were able to capitalize on the commodity boom at the time the Trevor Manuel was the finance minister he often spoke about uh, counter cyclical economics so we, we were in a good shape in the 2000s. Now, we need to try and get back to those levels because we even, we even tipped a 5.2% growth uh, one of the years, the 2000. So for me, let's reflect on the good, let's reflect on the bad. But now, what for me would be the single biggest project that we need to move forward with? Mm. Aside from the disenablers I spoke about, we are a wonderfully talented country. We underestimate our talents very often, and we underestimate diversity as probably our single biggest, our single biggest strength in the country. Because in that diversity, that diverse mix of people, if you draw out the best of everyone, and I'm sorry, Kathy, this is sounding cliched, by now, but let me, because you started off with the spring box, let's end off with the spring box, and I know everyone's using the same example is a very good example because that is a very diverse team of people now I went and visited them on the Friday before the weekend of the French game and I saw the people from all walks of life very different backgrounds with their wives and their kids just getting on like one big happy family and I, I remember sitting there with my son and saying but you know this is how South Africa should actually look My son and I debated it on the train back, back to Paris. So for me, we need to embrace, not shun diversity. And we need to uh, optimize the talent that every single South African brings. Rather than diminishing those talents, let's extract those talents, and we will be an unbeatable nation if we do so. We've demonstrated that when we apply that diversity, and when we stand together united, we are unbeatable. We face some of the worst situations. And ironically, our country works best when we've got our backs to the wall. And that's how I'm confident we will pull out of this energy crisis in time. Um, we, we will get on a different economic uh, growth trajectory. As, as negative as some people are, understandably. But I think what gives me inspiration and hope every day mm-hmm. is when I look at the raw talents of many many people in our country that have those talents have not been optimized yet and we need to optimize them and we will become a formidable force we've got all the ingredients for success here but let's just pull together as a nation let's focus on those areas that bring us together that pull us together rather than those areas that pull us apart uh, pulling us apart as we're seeing in other areas of conflict in the world look what you get You just get a wasteland. Let's move on to a socially cohesive nation where everyone's talents are recognized and rewarded. That would be my vision for South Africa in the next five years.
0: Do you think that in the next 30 years, given the trajectory that we are on, and I know that um, you speak about how hopeful you are because of all of these measures and conversations that you've been part of and, and, and committees that you're part of, that, you know, it is possible to turn things around. What is the opportunity cost if we don't?
1: I, th- I think your opportunity cost is the, is, is, the, is the generations that come, right? And how mm. you write history.
0: Mm.
1: So for me, when you look at yourself in life, you say, look, no one is going to live forever. I know some people live their lives like they're going to live for 2,000 years. So unless you're in Greek mythology, you're not going to live 2,000 years. So they accumulate things. And For me, it's about what contribution can you as an individual make? What impact can you have? So if you have a particular set of skills or talent, how do you apply that talent to make maximal in- uh, impact in society? Mm. And... Making maximum impact is the best dividend that you can ever get. So if we look at the next 30 years, those 30 years will be built on a sound platform. If we get people like you and I, Kathy, who are living the here and now to have a maximal impact in that sphere of influence that we have got. Whatever, however big or small that sphere of influence is. And, and that's how I believe people need to live their lives. Live your life to see what impact can you have on
0: society. All right. Dr. Stavros Nikolaou, thank you so much for your time and congratulations once thank again you, on the award that you've received. Thanks it's very much m- for
1: having me, Kathy.
0: It's a pleasure.